Welcome to First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin's online worship service, where we gather virtually and in spirit each week at 1045 a.m. on Sundays during this time when we can't still be together physically. We're a spiritual community dedicated to the free and responsible search for truth, meaning, and beauty. I am Leela Galt, Ministerial Intern of First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. I welcome each of you to our service. I especially want to welcome you if you are new to First Unitarian Universalist of Austin. Please feel free to say hello in the Facebook comments and let us know where you are watching our virtual service. Unitarian Universalists come from a long tradition of teaching that there is a spark of the divine in every person. Let us connect to those divine sparks now, either by posting a greeting to one another in the Facebook chat or simply by sensing the heartstring connections that exist between us. This is the flame we hold in our hearts as we strive for justice for everyone. This is the light we shine upon systems of oppression until they are no more. This is the warmth that we share with one another as our struggle becomes our salvation. Today's call to worship comes to us from Reverend Leslie Takahashi. Reverend Takahashi serves as the lead minister at Mount Diablo Unitarian Universalist Church in Walnut Creek, California. She's also the chair of the Commission on Institutional Change and the co-author of The Arc of the Universe is Long, which looks at anti-racism work here in the UUA. She contributes often to meditation manuals and other faith publications. This is from her work, Labyrinth. Walk the maze within your heart. Guide your steps into its questioning curves. This labyrinth is a puzzle leading you deeper into your own truths. Listen in the twists and turns. Listen in the openness within all searching. Listen. A wisdom within you calls to a wisdom beyond you. And in that dialogue lies peace. One of the things that helps bind us together as a religious community, even when we can't be together in person, is to have a common purpose. At First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin, that common purpose is our mission. We have it written on the wall of our sanctuary, and we say it together every Sunday. Let's say our mission together now. Together, we nourish souls transform lives, and do justice to build the beloved community. To learn more about what we mean by beloved community, you can visit the Martin Luther King Center at thekingcenter.org. Each week, to help those of us who identify as white deepen our understanding of the beloved community and the challenges that we face in building it, We've been taking a moment to consider how oppression operates in our world. Last month, in the wake of George Floyd's murder, a group of University of Texas athletes of color 
wrote a letter to the administration listing ways and things needed changed on campus to make it welcoming and inclusive for students of color. Their most contentious request was changing the UT fight song, The Eyes of Texas. The history and roots of that song are quite hostile to students of color. The thing is, the eyes of Texas is sacred to many who have passed through UT and many who continue to fund its operations with donations. It evokes warm feelings and offers a sense of solidarity and sanctuary for these individuals. But unfortunately, this very same song makes many people of color on campus feel unseen, uncared for, unwelcome. This past week, UT announced that it is accepting several of the athletes of color's suggestions, such as renaming campus sites in honor of people of color. The UT fight song will remain the eyes of Texas. Let's take a moment to reflect on what traditions we as a church might have that brings many of us lots of warm feelings and a sense of solidarity or sanctuary, but that might feel unwelcoming to congregants and visitors of color or people with other marginalized identities. Our reading is Invictus by the British poet William Ernest Henley. Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeoning of chance, my head is bloody but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade, and yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. I invite you now into a time of centering, a time of breathing deeply, in and out, in and out. And as we breathe deeply together, let us feel the heartstrings that keep us connected to one another and to this, our beloved religious community, even though we must remain apart physically. Let us breathe in and breathe out. Let's follow that breath to a deeper place inside, a place of calmness, a place where love thrives, to that spark of divine within each of us. We'll now have a few moments of music during which I invite you to continue your meditative breathing. And if you wish, Light a candle representing joys, sorrows, remembrances, hope. <laughs> 
If you don't have a physical candle to light, you can light a virtual one at gratefulness.org. The other night, as I was getting ready for bed, I broke two of my personal rules for spiritual survival, rules I've broken many times in the past few months. One, I consumed news after 4 p.m. And two, I consumed news on a portable electronic device. In doing so, I encountered a tragic story about a boy from Mongolia who died of bubonic plague after eating an infected marmot. And then I jumped to another story about a squirrel in Colorado who had tested positive for the bubonic plague and another story about the current global statistics on death and disability from the bubonic plague. And then a couple of helpful articles on what the heck a marmot is. I think I was doing what they're calling doom scrolling. In any case, it prevented me from doing the next right thing for my soul that evening, which was to get a good night's rest and recharge my wells of love, compassion, and peace. I found myself muttering, I've got to get back to stoicism. And I said that much the same way I muttered to myself most Januaries, I've got to get back to the gym. Stoicism is an ancient philosophy that offers timeless tools for cultivating our will by turning obstacles into opportunities to exercise virtues. Virtues like compassion, courage, patience, and resilience. 
Stoicism, Stoicism started around 300 BC in Greece. And for about 300 years, Stoicism was the dominant philosophy of the Roman Empire, thanks to the teachings of notable Stoics like Seneca, Epictetus, and Emperor Marcus Aurelius. Stoicism is about using mindful vigilance of thoughts to maximize the empowered agency of action. Obstacles change over time and over place, but the general response of undisciplined minds to adversity remains the same. Fear, helplessness, frustration, anger, confusion. The energy that we spend on these emotions, the Stoics would tell us, depletes us, weakens us, burns us out. By contrast, Stoics urge cultivating virtues that empower us, strength, service, humility, flexibility. Stoics were warriors of the mind. They used hardships, insults, problems, pain, anything and everything as fuel for that inner fire of their will. The friction of struggle served the Stoics as a catalyst for chemical reactions of character, propelling them to new, higher levels of functioning and empowerment. Through training and practice, they honed what they called their inner citadel, a kind of internal stronghold that each of us must build over our lifetimes that houses our unbreakable will and character. Imagine the inner citadel as a kind of soul fortress that protects your inner self and that no amount of external hardship can mar. There's three steps in the process of building the stoic inner citadel. First, to strengthen your soul fortress, focus only on what is under your control. What Stoics called externals are not under our control. Now, externals, I'm going to tell you, are a big bucket in the Stoic mind. All actions of other people are externals. What happens to you is an external. How people react to you is an external. Big bucket of externals. So what we can control, internals as Stoics called them, fit into a considerably smaller container. Our own words, our own thoughts, and our own actions. Those are the only internals. The second step in building the inner citadel is to focus on right action. For the Stoics, right action is choosing the most empowering action that you can take right now. Flex your agency whenever and however possible. When faced with a seemingly impossible boulder of adversity, break it down into pebbles of discrete possibility. What lies before us that we can accomplish? Choose to do that one small thing. Do it well, and then move on to the next discrete pebble of possibility that is within your control and is an internal. Third, and I think hardest, accept what comes. 
Stoics call it the art of acquiescence. We don't control outcome, unfortunately. That is an external. We only control our own internal processes. Stoics believed that once we used our will, agency, and character to the very best of our ability, that tranquility and joy would follow naturally as breathing. The art of acquiescence, importantly, doesn't mean giving up going forward. Only that in that individual moment, on that battlefield, we find a spot of peace, knowing that regardless of external events, we have built our own inner citadel. We have done what we can. In the next moment, turn back to the work by all means. Repeat the process as many times as it takes. As golfers say, play it where it lies. When a situation arises that is truly, unchangeably awful, the Stoics show us how to transform it in the fire of the inner citadel. Transform it into a learning experience. Transform it into an opportunity to grow our empathy. Transform it into a chance to comfort others. The late Admiral James Stockdale provides a remarkable contemporary example of the Stoic inner citadel. So you may remember Admiral Stockdale from his time in 1992 as the vice presidential running mate of Ross Perot. But whatever your feelings about his politics, we can see the awesome practical power of Stoicism in Admiral Stockdale's story of his seven years as a prisoner of war in Vietnam. In his essay, and it's a mouthful, Courage Under Fire, Testing Epictetus's Doctrines in a Laboratory of Human Behavior. Stockdale tells us that he came to philosophy at middle age when the Navy sent him to Stanford. Now, Stoicism spoke to Stockdale right away, particularly the compilation of Epictetus's teachings called the Enchiridion. Enchiridion means ready at hand, so we might think of it as the Stoic handbook. But really, for the Stoics, ready at hand meant more like as a weapon, as a tool, something available to be used by you quickly and in any situation. Stockdale's Stoic hero, Epictetus, was born an enslaved person and spent years working in the palace of the infamous Roman emperor Nero before he became a free person and turned into a Stoic teacher. That's Epictetus. Uh, Nero never turned into anything good. Stockdale says he particularly admired Epictetus because Epictetus gleaned wisdom rather than bitterness from his early firsthand exposure to extreme cruelty and his firsthand observations of abusive power and self indulgent debauchery. In 1965, three years after leaving Stanford, James Stockdale was shot down over North Vietnam and parachuted away from the wreckage of his airplane, floating down into enemy territory. Stockdale vividly recalls, After ejection, I had about 30 seconds to make my last statements in freedom before I landed in the main street of a little village right ahead. 
and so help me, I whispered to myself, five years down there, at least. I'm leaving the world of technology and entering the world of Epictetus. Admiral Stockdale's essay also tells us that when he crashed, he understood that he would be the highest ranking military officer from the U.S. in the prison and that the enemy would know this and would single him out for extra copious torture and reprogramming and that his single goal as he was floating down was to give his fellow prisoners the best leadership he could provide as long as he survived. His initial assessment, unfortunately, proved quite accurate. As soon as he hit the ground, he was badly beaten and left with an injured leg that never healed properly. Stockdale says he would later take comfort in the fact that Epictetus himself had a disability and wrote in the Enchiridion, lameness is an impediment to the leg, not to the will. Before Stockdale even gets to his experience in prison, he's offered a powerful articulation of the stoic process of forging the inner citadel. He's acquiesced to external consequences over which he has no control. That he's going to be a prisoner, probably for five years, which was his personal opinion of how much longer the Vietnam War, war would last. He has broken down the overwhelming obstacle of imminent imprisonment into small parts over which he can exercise empowered agency and action. And he has set a goal for his internal condition that is worthy of his inner citadel. He vows to use his years in prison to help the other prisoners. Once he arrives at prison, which he describes as a strange cross between a psychiatric facility and a reform school, Admiral Stockdale sees that the most effective torture technique that his enemy has is the fear, anxiety, guilt, and helplessness that the captured soldiers themselves feel. They are worried and panicked about what information they might give up under the duress of torture. In writing this sermon, I seriously questioned how many times it's possibly appropriate to say torture before noon. So fingers crossed, I've cut it down to a reasonable number. In any case, Stockdale says, it was there that I learned what stoic harm meant. Epictetus says, look not for any greater harm than this, destroying the trustworthy, self-respecting, well-meaning person inside you. I got to tell you, Admiral Stockdale seems mighty frustrated in his essay that other people don't immediately grasp the gravity of stoic harm and instead insist on asking him at his speaking engagements about lesser issues like what exact, what exact kinds of physical torture he endured, there were many, and what the food was like. <laughs> he wrote that he got questions about the food in the camp all the time, drove him crazy. So to help alleviate the psychological and spiritual harm suffered by his 400 fellow prisoners, Stockdale established a system of coded communications between the prisoners and set up a chain of command. And most importantly, he gave them orders. Orders like unity over self. 
which translated practically in the camps into avoiding accepting favorable treatment at the expense of one's fellow soldiers. His system of these shadow orders allowed the soldiers to minimize their anxiety and guilt and maximize their empowered agency. It's it's a perfect stoic technique, really. Stockdale's orders normalized that they would probably all give up some information under torture, but allowed the soldiers to take action to build their inner citadels by exercising their discretion when possible to follow Stockdale's shadow orders like unity under self as best they could under less than excellent circumstances. And that small amount of agency brought the soldiers a measure of peace and freedom inside prison. Admiral Stockdale writes poignantly of a note left for him by a fellow soldier when Stockdale returned from a long bout of solitary confinement. He spent about four years in solitary confinement, all told. He says, back in my cell, After the guard locked the door, I sat on my toilet bucket where I could stealthily jettison the note if the peephole cover moved. An unfolded hatcher's sheet of low-grade paper toweling on which, with a rat dropping, he had printed, without comment or signature, the last verse of Ernest Henley's poem, Invictus. It matters not how straight the gate how charged with punishment the scroll. I am the captain of my fate. I am the master of my soul. Sometimes the triumph of the stoic inner citadel over adversity bears little resemblance to traditional victory. Sometimes it manifests instead as spiritual survival. You cannot see spiritual survival on the outside, not externally, but the presence of a person whose inner citadel is strong enough for spiritual survival illumines countless others, illumines for them the inherent worth and dignity of every person, regardless of external circumstances. As we walk in our Unitarian Universalist faith through this time of adversity, there will be opportunities to use the wisdom of the Stoic sages, to break challenges down so that their hugeness does not paralyze us, to exercise our empowerment muscles by tackling actions within our control, to preserve energy by wasting as little as possible on unproductive reactions to externals, and to transform obstacles into opportunities to build compassion, empathy, and resilience. Amen, and blessed be.
During this time when so many of us are still staying home to stay safe, many have longed for a way to help others and do justice. First UU is coming together to help retire people's medical debt. See the Friday email and the church website for more details. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. May our inner citadels shine brightly as beacons that ignite spiritual survival in all who see them. Peace be with you. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at austinuu.org.